A few years ago, there was a, a blog and a social ministry or a social media account that was launched by a guy named Ben Kirby, and, and the name of this this social media account was Preachers and Sneakers. Have any of you seen Preachers and Sneakers? Perfect. You should go home and look it up. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's, it's, actually, it's actually pretty funny. This, is, this guy, he got this idea after going to church and, and seeing that, that the pastor was wearing really nice shoes. And he thought, where did those shoes come from? Who bought him those shoes? How, what, what does it say about him, about his beliefs? Why is he wearing those shoes? And, and it spawned this whole kind of funny movement of going and looking at pastors in their shoes. Now, I got some, uh, some news for you that might be good news or might be bad news. I will never be featured on a blog about my shoes. Um, I, I, I have had coffee with a guy who got a, a degree, his PhD in fashion and theology, but that's about as far as it goes when it comes to my, my world with fashion. I don't, I wear what's out. I put it on, I come. Most days, whenever I put on my socks and shoes, I do it without really thinking too much. I've got a pair of comfortable bright yellow running shoes. Some of you have seen me wear those. I wore them to church a couple weeks ago. They're comfortable, that's why I wear them. I've got a pair of brown dress shoes that I'm wearing today, a pair of black dress shoes. And if it's hot, you'll likely see me wearing sandals as I did this last week. But there were two days this past week where I paid pretty close attention to what was on my feet, what I was wearing on my feet. The first was Sunday afternoon at our WPC softball game. After church last week, I, I, I stopped at the, the sporting goods store on the way home, and I bought my first pair of baseball cleats that I've bought in 20 years. And oh my goodness, they made such a difference to playing. I actually wasn't slipping and sliding everywhere. It made a huge, huge difference than those, those comfortable running shoes. And then secondly, I, I was, uh, on Thursday, I was working in my backyard. It was hot, so I was wearing sandals because that's what you do when it's hot. And I got out the, the uh, reciprocating saw, and don't worry, my feet are still here. My feet are still here. But I got a little too close to comfort and thought, oh, I should go and put on some shoes before... I continue this work. There's something about being equipped with the right type of of equipment, whether it's shoes, whether it's something else, about having the right type of equipment for whatever it is that we're doing. It's not just about fashion. It's about how we prepare ourselves for whatever we might encounter throughout the day. So during Lent, we've been talking through these, these different images that, that, or symbols that we often associate with faith, that we often associate with, with church. And uh, those shoes might not be the first image that we think of. There's a lot of stories in Scripture that has to do with shoes or has to do with sandals. There, there's the clothing uh, and clothes as well. There's the clothing God gave Adam and Eve in the garden. There, there's Joseph in his coat. There's the priestly and royal garments, the train of the robe that fills the temple in Isaiah's vision. John the Baptist's outfit of, of camel hair and his comment about not being fit to tie Jesus' sandals. There's a lot about clothes in Scripture if you read through and pay attention to it. Paul's words that we read earlier from Ephesians, which are a great reminder to be intentional every day as we get dressed and prepared to face the day. 
So our second passage this morning is likely familiar to many of us. It's out of the beginning of Exodus. And after being raised by Pharaoh's daughter, Moses is out and about one day in Egypt. He sees an Egyptian man being beaten, and so he runs over. Actually, I should say he sees a Hebrew man being beaten by an Egyptian man, and he runs over, and he says, what are you doing? One thing leads to another, and he ends up killing the Egyptian man. So he flees. He flees, and eventually, some 40 years later, he ends up in the desert. And when he ends up in the desert, he takes on this role of shepherd, which was a working or really a servant class job, one that was certainly beneath someone who grew up in the courts of Pharaoh. So so we get this image of he had kind of rid himself of his past as he steps out to be a shepherd. It shows us that, that he's kind of said, you know what, that was before, this is now. He was now a Hebrew man who, who couldn't even afford his own flock, so he had to tend his father-in-law's flock. And starting at verse 1 in chapter 3 of Exodus, we read this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within it and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, a couple months ago, when we were preparing for, for this Lenten season, I had an idea of where I wanted us to go on Sunday mornings. But one of our elders, Jean Stacy, she said, hey, I've got, I've got this great book recommendation. Why don't, we, why don't we read through this book together? And so some of us have been reading through the book, um, Lent in Plain Sight. Uh, we've also been using it as our, our, our prompt for our daily devotions. If you don't get them through email and would like to get them, I'd, I'd ask you to talk to an usher on your way out from, from church. Um, it, it's written by an author who's really a, a Presbyterian pastor. And when she gets to this week, this week's focus is on sandals. This week's focus is on shoes. For today, she writes this. She says, perhaps like many of us, Moses relegated the holy to those places designated for worship, set aside for ritual, marked as special and mostly off-limits to ordinary people. God, though, refuses to be boxed in by our expectations. God alone constitutes the holy. Our role is to respond by taking off our shoes to recognize the holy ground when we experience it to turn aside our gaze in humility, follow instructions, and listen. God alone constitutes what is holy. Our role is to respond. Our role is to respond by taking off our shoes, recognizing the holy ground when we experience it, to turn aside our gaze in humility, to follow instructions, to listen. At the core of our our Presbyterian theology, our Reformed theology, lies an idea that that God moves first. That that God moves first. God creates. 
God loves, God invites, God reaches out, and we respond. We respond to God's initiative, God moving toward us. The story of Moses, it reminds us of this reality. So this week and through the rest of Lent, I want to invite us to every time we, we sit down and, and put on our shoes or take off our shoes or, or tie our laces or, or if you're like my kids, strap on the Velcro. Um, think about God moving toward us. God moving toward us and, and we respond throughout that day. As I prepared for the, the sermon this week, I spent time reflecting on this this concept of of holy ground. The spaces that we just can't deny are are set apart. That's what holiness means, set apart. So so the places that we can't deny are set apart. For for some of us, it's the beach. How many of you think, okay, the the beach is like a, a special place? A special place. Or, or some of us, it's, it's up in the mountains, right? A specific trail uh, on the mountains. For some of us, it's a certain building or a place in a specific building. For some of us, it's the place you sit in the pew. Right? Right, Kathy? Right, Darv? That's your spot. It's holy ground. Right, right, right there. It's the place that you are, a location on this, this church campus. That we can think of a lot of places. Uh, I've previously referred to those here on Sunday morning as, as thin spaces. This is an idea that comes out of Celtic Christianity. And it's, it's the places that we find ourselves that, that just feel like the space between heaven and earth is very thin. That we just, for whatever reason, feel like when we're in that place, we are encountering the holy. When we, when we refer to thin spaces. And then it hit me. And of all places... It hit me as I was thinking of those, those holy spaces. For me, it's the beach. I also like the mountains, but I love going to the beach. And, and I'm thinking about those places that are just those, those, those thin spaces. And I'm thinking about the other places. And I thought about it while I was sitting in the dentist chair of all places. Moses, Mo, Moses wasn't out seeking a holy place when he encountered God. He was going throughout his everyday, his everyday life. He wasn't seeking a place that was holy. This was his job. This was the mundane. This was the ordinary. He just goes out and he's doing his job and it's in that place that he encounters God. And then I thought, well, if Moses can encounter God in his everyday while he's at work, does that mean I can encounter God everywhere? Even in the dental chair? And all of a sudden I started thinking, wow, wow, I, I don't walk throughout every day thinking here's an opportunity to encounter God. I don't, but I can, and you can. As soon as I had that thought, I started listening to the hygienist in a, in a different way. And it wasn't like she was sharing anything profound, right? She was just talking to me, expecting me to respond while her hand was in my mouth. You can't can't exactly respond, but I, I started listening. I started paying attention. It was, was different just because I kind of consciously placed myself, okay, I can encounter, I can encounter God. I can love as God would have me love every day, all the time, everywhere that I am. So Moses, he follows Jethro's flock out into the wilderness in, in Sinai, which, which was quite a ways from Midian. And, and, and really, that's all we know where he is. He's at work. He's following the flock. They, they go out. And it's there that while he's doing his job, the angel of the Lord shows up. And as the ordinary becomes holy, he takes off his sandals. 
as he's asked. Now, Scripture includes all kinds of stories uh, that involve taking off or, or putting on our sandals. But this one, this one is really the, the only one where it's explicitly associated with holiness. More than likely, taking off one's shoes in, in that culture was a sign of respect in the same way that it is when you enter a house in some cultures. Today, you, you take off your shoes as a sign of respect if you're a guest in somebody else's house. But I think there's, there's more to it. One of my, my favorite images in all of television is from the opening scene of Mr. Rogers. I've talked about it here some before. Last Sunday was actually, uh, uh, Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian pastor. Last Sunday was actually Mr. Rogers Sunday. But at the beginning of, of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, every episode, there's this song. There's the stoplight, the train, the sweater. And he changes what? His shoes. He changes his shoes. Something happens the moment that Fred Rogers tosses his shoe from one hand to the other and puts on his other shoes. The show was about to begin, which meant a new lesson, a new adventure was about to begin. Though Moses' journey of faith begins well before he encounters the the burning bush, it's a, a pivotal turning point in his journey. Something new was about to begin, and it all starts as he takes off his sandals. As he takes off his sandals. Now I wonder, uh, along his journey, how often he thought back to that moment. Uh, how often he, he thought back to that, that, that first time he took off his shoes as he, he encountered God in the burning bush. Did he think about it when talking with Pharaoh? Did he think about it as he wandered through the wilderness with, with his people while he listened to their grumbling? Did he think about it every time he took off his shoes? I wonder. The book of Exodus finds most of its significance in in the way it portrays the encounters between God and God's people. There's the plagues, Passover, the Red Sea, manna from the sky, water from a rock. There's all signs that are connecting God to God's people when they encounter one another. Later, in Exodus 19, in the same way that Moses takes off his shoes and kind of steps back at at the sight of of the burning bush, that the Israelites, they they draw a perimeter around Mount Sinai. They they draw a perimeter in Exodus 19 around Mount Sinai right before Moses brings them the Ten Commandments. And they do this because it was holy ground. It was holy ground, and they had to prepare themselves to be around that holy ground, to be in that holy ground. So one of the questions I'd invite us to ask this week is, what do we do to prepare ourselves to be in God's presence? Whether we're talking about here in worship on Sunday morning, do we, do we sit and listen to Pavel as he, he plays the prelude? Not because, just because Pavel is a, is a great musician, but because we're preparing our hearts for worship? Do we do that? Do do we sit and say, okay, I'm preparing myself to encounter God. Do we in the morning get up and take a few minutes to pray? Do we sit and listen and think, you know what? I might encounter God somewhere and in some way today. How do you, to use Paul's metaphor in Ephesians, put on the armor of God each and every day? 
Moses also recognizes the holy ground when he's, he's standing there. He, he recognizes something is up, something is happening right here. He sees the fire in the bush and he's curious. My, my kids are, are really into a, a series of books called Fancy Nancy. Anybody know Fancy Nancy? We've got a couple who know, who know fancy. Thanks, thanks Michelle. Um, they, they tell of adventures of Nancy who uses big words to describe her adventures. Right? She uses, so she, a party is just not nice. A party isn't just nice. It's exquisite. You know, uh, food doesn't just taste good. It's delectable. So there's these, these big words that she uses to describe what's happening. Well, there's a, a fancy theological word for what Moses experiences here in, in Exodus. It's called a theophany, which really just means a moment where God appears, where, where an image of God appears in some way and in, some, in, in part in some way. And there's quite a few moments in Scripture where God appears through fire. Genesis 15, God is represented in the pot of fire when God comes and establishes the covenant with Abraham. In addition to the burning bush here, God shows God's self as a pillar of fire to the Israelites as they wander through the wilderness. On Mount Sinai, God descended in fire twice. Twice. Once when the law was delivered and later while visiting Elijah. The prophets often described a fiery shape or as Daniel envisioned, a person sitting on a throne of fire. And Revelation is full of fiery imagery, of fire imagery. But it all kind of begins here with Moses, recognizing that something is happening in the middle of the ordinary. He stays curious. He says, what's going on over there? I'm going to go and see it. So maybe, maybe, maybe the lesson for us here as we put on our shoes in the morning or as we take them off in the evening is to use that moment to remind ourselves to stay curious. To remind ourselves to go over and to check things out and say, what is God doing in this moment? What's happening here? It might not be experiencing God through fire, but maybe it's seeing God in another person. Or or in a, a certain situation. Maybe the simple act of putting on or taking off your shoes reminds you to stay alert to those moments. When Moses recognizes that there's something special about that moment. He, he turns his face in humility. God, God, says, God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, three of these, these names up here, we, we know the God of, of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But God also includes the God of your father, how many of you know Moses' dad's name? It's not a common name. You, don't worry, we're not, we're not taking the exam. It's not, it's not a common name. His name was Amram. And he, he, he was likely a common man. He's not someone that you'd expect to see on a list with the, the patriarchs of our faith. Right? Not, oh, here's, here's Amram, the God of Amram, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But by including him on this list, the significance of this moment, this big moment, is made personal to Moses. God is both the God of of the big picture and the God of our individual experience. So as Moses is overcome by this moment, the the act of of turning away, it it parallels parallels the stories he, he would have heard from his time in Egypt 
where, where encounters with God or encounters with the divine, I should say, were, were, were known to make people turn away. It was too much to bear. So you, st- you looked away. We, we see stories of this throughout Scripture. And actually, actually, in, in, in pagan faith traditions, this is really where, where idol worship began. It was the idea that being around God was too much. So you had to make a symbol to be around. You had to make an image to be around. Of course, it's what Moses commanded the Israelites not to do. And then they still do it. Old habits and customs are hard to shed. And this is a a reminder for us as we prepare to encounter God, as we stay curious, to not get too far ahead of ourselves. That sometimes when we encounter God, the response is, oh, that's a lot. To to take a step back and say, you know what, I, I I need a moment. We never really know what God is doing in one of those moments. And sometimes we might have to turn away. And then what we see later in the story is that Moses listens. Moses listens and he, he follows instructions. A few months ago, when I was asked to manage my son's baseball team, uh, the first thought that went through my mind was, I don't have time for this. And the second thought was, how in the world am I going to get 11, 6, 7, and 8-year-olds to listen to me? How in the world am I going to get them to, to pay? What, what do I have to teach them? How are they going to listen to me? And, and then I remembered a silly callback that my wife Haley used with kids at camp and in the classroom that I've used here with the preschool that I've used here with, with VBS. I, I say, look up here, look up here, look up here. And the kids go, ah, ah. All right, we're going we're gonna to do this. We need to wake up a little, little bit this morning. Look up here, look up here, look up here. Ah, ah. It works. It works, it works, it works with you. It, it, it works with six, seven, and eight-year-olds as well. Moses is a, is a great example. Of when God says, look up here, look up here, look up here, Moses says, oh, I've got to, I've got to pay attention. Now, that's not to say that, that Moses doesn't try to get out of it, right? We know, we know later in the story, he comes up with as many reasons as he can about why he's not fit to lead the people. He's a nobody. He's Amram's son. I'm, I'm a nobody. Pharaoh won't listen to him. The Hebrew people wouldn't either. He's not an orator. He's not a gifted public speaker. He, he's simply inadequate. Why? This doesn't make sense. His story reminds us to be obedient even when we think we're inadequate. Even when We don't think we have what it takes. Even when God approaches us and we say, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. Sometimes all it takes is a commitment to showing up and to listening. So later this week, probably at some point later today, you all are going to do something with your shoes. I'm guessing. You'll take them off. Maybe you'll put on some slippers at home. Maybe you'll come play softball later and you'll have to put on some some baseball shoes. You'll do something with your shoes. You'll do something with your shoes. And, And my encouragement is that every time we touch those shoes, we'd be reminded that there's the possibility that we could walk on holy ground anywhere we go. 
We just need to remember to pay attention, to look for it, to be curious. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the story of Moses. And Lord, for the continued lessons his life continue to give us. As we go throughout our week, may we remember that you are with us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.